How does God give you direction in your life? Is it through the wisdom that you receive when you read the Bible? Is it perhaps through thoughts and impressions that God gives you when you pray? Does He sometimes speak to you through the the counsel of other believers? I'll bet that you've probably discerned God's will in all of those ways at various times. But here's what I find interesting. This is what happens in my life. There are times when I'm very clearly convinced of God's will and God's direction. I know what God wants me to do. And despite that, I still can second-guess myself. I can still find myself wondering, did I hear God correctly? Am I getting it right? You see, there's times when even when we know what God wants wants us to do, we could really use some assurance. And it can be so helpful when God does something to confirm that we're on the right path. Because confirmation reinforces our faith. And I find that in the biggest decisions of life, those times when God interrupts our plans and asks us to follow His plans, that He often does something very specific to give us the confirmation that we would like to have. And in the Christmas story, that's what happens in the life of a young woman named Mary. God interrupted her life in a radical way by speaking to her through an angel and letting her know that she would miraculously become pregnant. And I think it would be so easy for her to wonder in the days and hours after that event, did did that really just happen? (laughs) Did, Did I really have a conversation with an angel? And because of that very human tendency, God interrupts again. He interrupts in order to reinforce Mary's faith. And so here in the book of Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56, we're going to see how God confirms to Mary that His word is coming true. And this confirmation makes a huge difference in her life. Let's take a look. Luke 1, 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Very, very simple beginning, but it sets the stage for what's about to happen. And if we want to understand what is about to happen, then we need to understand what's already happened. Now, Elizabeth plays a central part in this aspect of the Christmas story. And we learn about Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah back in the early parts of chapter 1 of Luke. Both of them, this husband and wife, they both grew up as PKs, priests' kids. And Zechariah himself is a priest. And they are faithful, godly people, but they're childless. And the lack of children has been a huge hole in their hearts been a huge ache in their lives. And now Elizabeth is very old and she is long past the age when it's even physically possible to become pregnant. But here's something they don't realize. There has been purpose in this long delay. That's something we need to understand that oftentimes God has purposes when He delays. And in their case, God has been preparing them throughout their lives to become the parents of John the Baptist. And they don't know this, and they can't know this, 
until God reveals it in his perfect timing. So Zechariah has an encounter with an angel. And he's told that a miracle will take place. Elizabeth will become pregnant. And their son will be the prophet who proclaims the coming of Jesus. God answers their decades-long prayer and gives them a son. A unique son. And their experience reminds us that we never know exactly what what might happen in our lives. We, we never know what God might be planning for us until that moment when He interrupts. Now, immediately after she becomes pregnant, Elizabeth goes into seclusion. <coughs> excuse me, into seclusion. And she's about six months along in her pregnancy when it's Mary's turn to have a miraculous encounter with an angel. And we explored that encounter in some detail last week. And here's what we saw. Mary learns from this angel that even though she is young and unmarried, even though she's never been physically intimate with a man, God wants to make her pregnant. He wants her to have a child who will be the son of God and who will be the instrument of God's salvation. Now, it seems to me that this announcement of a miraculous unplanned pregnancy would be overwhelming for Mary. We saw in the text that she chooses to believe the angel. She embraces what God says with obedience. But who's going to believe her when she relates what's taken place? Who can even begin to understand what she's thinking and feeling? And who can she turn to for advice and support and encouragement? Well, there's one person in the whole world who can do that. It's Elizabeth. Because of Elizabeth's unusual experience, because of her own miracle pregnancy, she should be able to understand in a way that no one else can what Mary's going through. She should be able to help Mary process what she's experiencing. And so as we see here in our passage, Mary packs up in a hurry and heads out to visit her cousin. Here's what the text doesn't tell us. This is a journey of about 60 miles along remote roads and paths where encounters with thieves are common. And a young woman would never head out in those days, not alone. We're not told how Mary makes the journey, but here's a likely way that people often travel. They would hitch a ride with a caravan of merchants that was known to them or their family. But Mary needs company and protection on this journey, and it would take three to four days. And all of this tells us that it's not a simple trip. It's not something easily undertaken, and her willingness to do this is an indication of her strong desire to talk with her cousin. She wants to be with another woman, a woman who hopefully will give her a hug and a listening ear and engage in some comforting conversation. Whatever Mary might anticipate about this meeting with Elizabeth, though, I seriously doubt she even can begin to conceive what's going to happen the moment that she walks in the door. Because at the moment of her arrival, God once again interrupts. The Holy Spirit is going to show up, and He's going to prompt Elizabeth to make a prophetic proclamation. Look what happens in verse 41. 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, she's just gotten there, and this happens. Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I mean, this is an incredible encounter. And it's all triggered by a simple fact. Elizabeth's baby, the future John the Baptist, moved in her womb. Now, that's a perfectly natural occurrence. Dr. Luke, the physician, the author of this passage, would understand that's something normal and natural. And we, too, understand that this is normal and natural. It happens to a lot of babies, and a lot of mothers experience this kind of thing. My wife, Julie, tells me that in the latter parts of her pregnancy, all three of our kids were extremely active. And my son, in particular, seemed to be engaged in soccer practice during the last couple of months before he arrived. The point is, it's a very human thing for Elizabeth's baby to leap inside her. However, in this case, a very normal human experience has a deeply spiritual meaning. And it's so important for for us to understand this. Not everything that is spiritual is supernatural. God so often is at work in the midst of our very normal, human, everyday experiences. And so the Holy Spirit shows up here to help Elizabeth discern that this particular movement of this baby in this moment is a response to Mary, the the, the woman who's going to give birth to Jesus, God's Son. And what Elizabeth says is amazing. Because she cannot possibly know any of this. She's been in seclusion. She has no idea that Mary is pregnant. She has no idea about why she's pregnant. She has no idea that this son is going to be special. Not humanly can she know any of this. She only can say these words because the Holy Spirit is prompting her to speak. And why would he do that? Well... Maybe it's so Elizabeth will know what's going on. I mean, that's possible, but the fact is, Elizabeth would eventually find out because Mary came there to tell her what's going on. I think that the Holy Spirit does this as a way to give Mary some dramatic confirmation. So it will reinforce that what she heard from the angel is accurate. And that's why without any prior knowledge, Elizabeth is able to confirm Mary's pregnancy. She even calls Mary the mother of my Lord. She has some spiritual insight about this baby. And she blesses Mary for choosing to embrace God's promises to her. This truly is a prophetic statement. Our God, who always knows what is best for us, knows that this is exactly what Mary needs to hear in this moment. It confirms that God's word to Mary is coming true. It's in the process of being fulfilled. And hearing these words can strengthen and reinforce Mary's faith. 
And we see that in the way she responds. Last week, after that incredible confrontation, not confrontation, but interaction with the angel, she was able to say, okay, I accept, I trust. It was a quiet statement of acceptance and obedience. But now after this incredible prophetic proclamation, after this amazing confirmation, Mary's able to respond with an outstanding proclamation of praise. She's been reinforced in her faith and her affirmation of what God is doing is taken to a whole new level. So she offers praise for the greatness of God and for the greatness of God's mercy. Look what she says starting in verse 46. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This is just the first part of a statement that essentially is a psalm of praise. And what Mary says here and what she's going to say in the next part of her statement that we'll look at in a moment, it all reveals that she has an intimate knowledge of the Scriptures. Some of the phrases she uses actually come from the Psalms. There also are some similarities with the prayer of Hannah that's recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 2, a place where Hannah prays and thanks God for the gift of a son, just as Mary is praising God here in response to the gift of her son. And Mary's psalm of praise reminds us that it's easier to pray, it's easier to praise God when we have a working knowledge of the Bible. Knowing God's truth forms our mind and it informs our prayers and our praise. And at the very outset of this psalm of praise, we see how Mary personalizes her faith. To her, God is not just the Lord. He's not just the Savior. She says, God is my Savior. She knows that without God, she would be lost. Lost in her sins and her neediness. And lost without direction and purpose. And lost without hope. Mary has a personal connection with Almighty God. And she recognizes that He is a merciful God who saves people when they humble themselves before Him. And her great and gracious God has favored her by choosing her to be the mother of Jesus. And here's one of the things I really love about this part of her psalm of praise. Before God interrupted Mary's life, she was poor, young, and unmarried. And after God interrupted her life, she still was poor, young, and unmarried. And pregnant now to boot. You see, from a human perspective, her material circumstances are not great. And yet she says here in verse 49 that God has done great things for me. Mary evidently does not equate God's blessings with her material circumstances. She's blessed because God has chosen her for a holy task, and that is what matters most. 
find myself kind of wrestling with this as I consider Mary's response. And it seems to me that you and I need to be more like Mary. We need to take our eyes a bit off of our physical circumstances and make the choice that our connection with God is indeed the most important thing in our life. And I wish we could understand that God's blessing is not determined by our material abundance, but by the way in which we live out the will of God in our lives. And God does great things for us when he chooses to interrupt us. That's his favor as he says, I want you to embrace my plan for you. And the best choice we can make in response always is to follow the plan that God has for each of us. Mary has so little, but she's blessed because God is doing great things. And his choice of Mary is a gracious act of mercy because it's completely undeserved and that's what Mary is celebrating here in the first part of her psalm. She knows though, based on what the angel said, that this gift of a son is not just for her. This son who is to come is not just for her family. This son to come, Jesus, is a gift to the world. And so in the next part of her psalm of praise, she's going to thank God and honor God and praise God for what he's going to do in the world through Jesus. Now, obviously, Mary cannot know or fully understand all that will happen in the future. But based on the promise of Scripture and based on God's faithfulness in the past, she seems to have this incredible sense that when Jesus arrives on the very first Christmas, that human history is going to change forever. And so after celebrating God's mercy in her own life, she now shifts her focus and she praises God for the way that he is going to display his mercy in the world. Look at verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. God's mercy extends to those who fear Him. So who is it that can receive God's mercy? Well, it's anyone and everyone if they fear Him. And what does it mean to fear God? It means that we honor Him and we revere Him and we humble ourselves before Him. It means we recognize His greatness and our imperfections. It means we recognize that only God can save us from our sinful condition because we cannot save ourselves. It means we recognize that God is just. And without His mercy, we would deserve His justice. 
And we can experience God's mercy when we put our trust in Mary's son, Jesus. Jesus, the son of God who is to come and who's going to fulfill God's promise to Abraham. A promise made long ago that one day God would bless all the people of the world. And that promise will come true through the life and the ministry of Jesus. Yet we need to see here that Mary's words of praise are not simply about God transforming people personally and individually. She speaks here about the transformation of society because she's describing not just the coming of Jesus, but the coming of the kingdom of God. And there's something really fascinating that's taking place here in the original Greek text because the verbs are written in the past tense, And yet there's a strong implication that this past action will continue in the future. This is a fairly common way for Jewish prophets to speak. And the idea is this, based on God's faithfulness in the past, we can trust Him for the future. In fact, when God makes a promise, then the future is so certain it can be stated in the past tense as if it's already an accomplished fact. So Mary speaks here about the way God's going to bring about His kingdom, and she talks about it like it's already happened. She's recalling times in the past when God carried out His mercy and His justice, and she foresees that this will happen in the future as God continues in every generation to fulfill the promise given to Abraham that all the peoples of the earth can be blessed. And as we ponder what Mary's written here, excuse me, what she said that's written for us, it becomes clear that God is going to bring about His kingdom through a reversal of our typical human values and practices. We like to honor and revere the powerful, but God's going to raise up the lowly and bring down the powerful. God's going to extend His mercy to those who are downtrodden and in need. And he's going to carry out his justice upon those who reject his mercy and keep people down. Mary's words tell us that Jesus is coming to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And she's praising God because his mercy is not reserved for the socially powerful or the politically connected or the economically rich. Far too often those kind of people revel in their own power and influence and they typically do not fear God. God's mercy is extended to all who will fear him, which means they come before him with humility and they recognize their need. And those who are puffed up with pride and those who trust in their own riches are going to miss out on the mercy of God. And Mary doesn't know it, but her words will come true in the ministry of her son. They will come true in in the lives of people like a rich young ruler that we read about. A rich young ruler that Jesus encounters one day as he's doing ministry. His story is recorded for us in Mark chapter 10. And when we read that passage, we find a young man who wants to be right with God, but he places a higher priority on his stuff than on anything else. 
And so as Jesus talks with this young man, he challenges that young man. And he says, I want you to sell your stuff. Because for you, what you need to do is to be an agent of God's mercy. And this is the way that you can do it in your life. And when the man hears that from Jesus, he walks away. He walks away empty because he fears the loss of his things more than he fears, the, more than he fears God. And that interaction and, and countless others like it are specific examples of the kingdom principles that Mary is proclaiming here in this psalm of praise. And again, Mary doesn't know exactly how God's plan is going to be carried out. But it's clear that she believes in the promises of Scripture. She has seen the faithfulness of God in the past. She trusts what the angel has said to her. And her faith has been reinforced by this prophetic confirmation spoken through Elizabeth. And so she can state with confidence that God will continue to be merciful to those who fear him, just as God has promised to do. I find this text to be encouraging, and I find it to be troubling. And I think we need to ponder its implications and discern how we're going to embrace this part of God's word in our own lives. I believe we can do so by recognizing that this confirmation spoken by Elizabeth is not just for Mary, it's also for us. It helps us understand that what God said to Mary through the angel was in fact true. God's promises hold and they are coming about. It's a verification that God keeps His word. And I believe that Mary's words of praise also are for us. I think they offer us a challenge and an invitation because they remind us that the most important thing in your life and in mine is to fear God. And when we fear God, then we can experience that incredible mercy that only God can give, that mercy which makes life truly worth living. And yet as we think about this, I, it forces us to ask, what do we fear most? What are your greatest fears? Is it the loss of money or possessions? The loss of status? The loss of a loved one? Do we fear that people whose politics differ from ours might get elected? Is that what drives you? It seems to drive a lot of people today. I hope above all things we would fear God so that we can embrace His plans for our lives and experience His mercy that we so desperately need. And if you're not connected to God this morning, then Mary's words are an invitation to humble yourself, to acknowledge that you're a sinner and you need forgiveness. And you can let God shower you with His incredible mercy. And Mary's words of praise can become yours as you experience the forgiveness of God and as the kingdom of God begins to become a reality in your own life. 
As we wrap up our service in a moment, we'll have an elder or two over in the prayer corner. And if you're far from God, I want to encourage you, don't wait. Don't wait. Our elders would love to tell you how you can get started in the life of faith today. And you can repent and be baptized and experience God's great mercy. So if you need Jesus today, please go speak with our elders. And for those of us who are connected to God, Mary's words should challenge us. Maybe even make us a little uncomfortable. We need to rethink and reevaluate and make sure that above all things, we fear God. And that we will come to Him in humility so that we can continually experience His mercy. And then so we can be ambassadors of His mercy to the people around us. As Mary said, God's mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. I pray that this would be true for us. I pray it would be true for those whose lives we touch. And I pray that we would be faithful in our generation to extend God's mercy to other people so they can be forgiven and experience that unique peace that only God can give.